0: America's National Parks Podcast is brought to you by L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean is a proud partner of the National Park Foundation. L.L. Bean and NPF share a belief that every community should have the opportunity and resources to experience the joy of the outdoors together. Through this partnership, they're not only helping people find their parks, they're helping protect, restore, and improve parks across the U.S. If it's outside L.L. Bean is all in. Be an outsider with L.L. Bean. Before this episode begins, I want to let you know that we began working on it before the current unrest began in our country. We don't want to come off as taking advantage of a situation, but at the same time, it'd be insulting to delay this episode. I have to warn you. The following contains depictions of racism, abusive actions, and the use of a racial epithet. On May 17, 1954, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled in Brown versus the Board of Education of Topeka that segregation in the public schools of the nation was unconstitutional. One of the first big tests of that decision came in Little Rock, Arkansas the NAACP had attempted to register black students in previously all white schools in cities throughout the South after the Supreme Court decision. In Little Rock, the school board agreed to comply. Virgil Blossom, the superintendent, submitted a plan of gradual integration to the school board on May 24, 1955, which the board unanimously approved. The plan would be implemented at the beginning of the 1957 school year. That fall, nine black children attempted to enroll in the all-white Central High School. They would become known as the Little Rock Nine. Several segregationist groups threatened to hold protests at Central High and physically block the black students from entering the school. Governor Orville Faubus deployed the Arkansas National Guard to support the segregationists on September 4, 1957. The sight of a line of soldiers blocking out the students made national headlines and polarized the nation. Regarding the crowd, one of the nine students, Elizabeth Eckford, recalled, They moved closer and closer. Somebody started yelling. I tried to see a friendly face somewhere in the crowd, someone who maybe could help. I looked into the face of an old woman, and it seemed a kind face. But when I looked at her again... She spat on me. On September 9th, the Little Rock School District issued a statement condemning the governor's deployment of soldiers to the school and called for a citywide prayer service. President Eisenhower attempted to de-escalate the situation by summoning Faubus to a meeting, warning him not to defy the Supreme Court's ruling. Woodrow Wilson Mann, the mayor of Little Rock, asked President Eisenhower to send federal troops to enforce the Supreme Court's order and protect the nine. On September 24th, the president ordered the 101st Airborne Division of the United States Army, without its black soldiers, to Little Rock and federalized the entire 10,000 member Arkansas National Guard, taking it out of Faubus's control. That day, the nine black students would attend the previously all-white Central High School. As much as it was a momentous occasion in American history that had ramifications far and wide forever to come, it's easy to forget that these nine children had to walk into a building full of people that thought their very existence was going to destroy their version of America. It's easy to forget that the crisis didn't end with them walking through the doors. These are their stories, in their own words, from an oral history project conducted from 2007 to 2009. We
1: have been, you know, watching the news, and I remember that the governor went on television. Elizabeth Eckford. He said something about calling out that he expected violence, and um, he called out the Arkansas National Guard to preserve Peace and orders.
0: Minnie Jean Brown.
2: To me, he gave the speech as if, you know, bad black boys are going to cause trouble. And-
0: Jefferson Thomas. So he went up there and tried to get past the guard, and uh, they kept blocking our attempts to go in. Carlotta Walls Lanier.
3: We were told by the um, um, commanding officer that they were there to to not allow us to go in. I remember there was a pack a press in front of me with cameras mm-hmm. in my face and people howling
1: directly behind me.
3: Mm-hmm. I felt like they were right on my heels. And I could hear the group across the street, uh, right there at the mobile station, you know, screaming and hollering and all that sort of thing. But I still, it, I heard it, but it didn't dawn on me that it was it was a, an unsafe place.
0: Mm-hmm. Gloria Ray Karlmark.
3: There's a picture taken by Will Counts
4: from the first day when we were stopped there and the utter disbelief in my eyes. Of course, no one else can know what I was thinking, but I remember that and I just remember that this this cannot be happening.
3: My thought was, how can the president allow this governor to... Thumb his nose at the Supreme Court decision.
0: Melba Patillo Beals.
3: She was sitting up that night, and
4: these guys they knock on the door. You know, they say who they are, and my grandmother said, "Show me your," and she's holding a a, a rifle, and she says, "Show me your identification." And you know, they had a dark suit, the what you'd expect, I guess, FBI or whatever to be wearing. And they said, uh, send your child to school tomorrow. The president will protect your child. And they hand us in a letter, which I still have today, from President Eisenhower.
3: So we got together and I I recall Mr. and Mrs. Bates being there and saying what a big day this was. And we've got the 101st here that's going to make sure that, that nothing happens to you. We were
4: worried not about what's going to happen when you get to school, we were worried about who gets to sit where in the station wagon. They wanted to, first of all, ride in the Jeep. Could somebody please ride in the open Jeeps?
3: No, they said. Then we all got into the station wagon and we had a Jeep in front of us and a Jeep behind us.
5: They had machine gun mounts on the turret. They had a a patrol, a a truck, you know, what a deuce and a quarter. Yep. 30 soldiers behind us and then another jeep behind them.
4: As children in that car, Ernie was telling the jokes. We all have roles. And we're always
2: kidding around, and I know we're kidding around in the jeep and because um, we, cause we felt free to kid around. Mm-hmm. That was the first time we actually felt free to to be ourselves, and we were like giggling and making jokes.
5: I thought we would go at the side door like we tried ourselves and like the police did. We got pulled up in
0: front of the school and walked us all the way across that big ocean. Thelma Mothershed.
3: The crowd parted like when Moses stretched out his staff at the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. The crowd parted like the waters. We walked on dry and clean land into the school. And then we each assigned a soldier inside the building who went with us from class to class and so I at the end of the day, the guards took us back. The convoy was out there again, and we went back to Mrs. Bates' house and probably discussed what happened that day. I remember uh, seeing these
4: soldiers in my front yard that night and thinking, huh, you know, maybe I'm going to sleep because prior to that night, I hadn't slept.
0: Though the military was on hand to keep the peace, the school still needed to function. These nine students would need to go to class with dozens of other students and teachers that either didn't want them there or decided that it was too difficult to stand by the nine or a select few that fought for the right to be there.
5: Every class I walked into that day, a contingent of students got up and
0: left. Dr. Terrence Roberts.
5: And they said, we're not coming back as long as you're here. Teachers were afraid. I could see the fear. We were all afraid. Uh, Many of them offered minimal gestures of acceptance, smile here and there. But they were very cautious too, because the word was out. You could tell the word was out. If you are friendly to those kids, we will do things to you.
3: There were some classes that the the teacher did not control the classroom. Mm -hmm. It was on an individual basis as to how good that teacher was, as to whether they can control those bad apples.
5: My English teacher, and I can't remember her name, but it would be easy to find in the records, she was so terribly unwelcoming. She said to me one day, why do you want to come to our school? Why don't you go back to your own school?
3: The rest of the night, we, we, I saw a couple of us at lunch. And the rest of the time, you were all by yourself, going to your different classes. You were, I didn't share one class with another black person.
1: I was in gym with many, many Jean. And after she was expelled, um, they put Carlotta in my gym class. I think all the boys probably had were in the same gym class. And, um, and then we would see each other at lunch. And people wouldn't sit at tables near us. Mm-hmm.
0: Ernest Green. You were, um, you know, going to be hassled and Uh That
5: was a place where you braced yourself for a whole series of things
0: from throwing hot towels to broken glass to, you know, a lot of verbal abuse.
5: If somebody threw the baseball when I wasn't looking, they could always say, well, he was on the team. He should have been catching the ball, you know, whatever. There, there was always this, and there would be support for that version. Other classes I had to be constantly vigilant and watchful because all sorts of things would happen. And uh, you could never be certain that a, any appeal to the teacher would work. Uh, the English teacher, case in point, you know, she never saw anything. And I would say this happened and that happened, she said I didn't see
4: it. I said I'd never for, forget, Mrs. Pickwick I think is her name. Anyway, she was the dearest woman that ever lived because It was only in her class every day that I felt safe. She was very tiny, but anybody who walked near me, she'd say, no, 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 you move over here. And that was from the first day I was ever there. that first Monday I went inside the school and had to be pulled out. This woman was a tower of strength.
5: My algebra teacher, uh, again, I can't remember her name, but a woman who said to the class when I first walked in, there'll be no nonsense in this class. We're here to learn algebra. And that, that, was, that was so nice because admit, I could relax in her class.
0: Those few teachers and students that stood up for the nine were certainly not enough. And when the 101st cleared, these nine kids had to live through unimaginable challenges every single day.
4: Absolutely, though, there were students who offered Terry a book. There were students who on that first day would say, come and sit with me. There were students who smiled, excuse me, who um, were human in the beginning. But what we could see as time moved on is that those students were castigated for their humanity.
5: I started walking home, and a, a white guy ran after me. And I thought, oh, boy. So I turned around and uh, assumed a posture of defense or whatever, and he waved that off, saying, no, no, no. He says, I want you to know that I'm a friend. I, I don't agree with all of this stuff and uh, not everybody in Little Rock is against you.
4: And then their fears realized as several of them were beat up on the way home. And I've talked to some of those people afterwards and they were in as much hot water as we were. Mm -hmm. There were other people who, who, when we were being hurt,
1: obviously, felt like we, we were getting what we deserved. But majority of people turned their backs and I didn't see them react to what they had to have heard,
2: had to have seen. I wished every day that those white kids had as much guts as we had to say, This is my school. I don't like this. I won't tolerate this. I want this to change. Instead, what we hear them saying is, The Little Rock Nine ruined their year. Well, sorry, folks. Maybe it was your mom and dad out there screaming obscenities who messed up your year. It certainly wasn't us.
5: Any student. Who reached out to help us was quickly labeled nigger lover.
1: There were a lot of silent witnesses. In fact, the majority of them were silent witnesses. Because I say that because the attacks on most of the attacks on us happened in the hallways. Mm -hmm. Majority of them happened in the hallways. I remember when we were scalded in the gym shower. Back then, they didn't have any partitions in the gym shower. Mm -hmm. It was just open. But I didn't hear a peep of the girl on the right of me or the left of me. So they had to have been warned before the water turned suddenly scalding hot.
2: There would be nobody to take care of me and there would be no one who cared enough about me to keep me safe somehow. And that, I think, was just the feeling of total vulnerability all the time.
3: Medellin and Melba and I would wait on my mother to pick us up after school. We went down to 14th Street entrance little white boys outside pegging snow, pegging rocks in snow. and mm-hmm. throwing them inside at us.
1: Oh, there was only one instance that was ever published in a newspaper. And that was um, when they were throwing rock-filled snowballs at us as we, as we were trying to leave schools. And my father had a hard time getting across the street to me. And a guard, a guard stuck back inside the building. Eventually we did too.
4: Yes, there were white students in there who... Came at us with knives, acid in my eyes. My publisher stripped out 40% of the horror because he said nobody could survive, stand to read it. Mm-hmm. And we were frightened. People were shooting in our house. I mean, uh, people were getting bombs. Some of the nine were getting bombs in their houses. and uh, We couldn't go to the store. We couldn't go out. We couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't go to the community center to play cards, for heaven's sake, or listen to music. I couldn't go anywhere.
2: I think the main feeling that I felt in that school was nobody liked me. And I have never not been liked. And it just was, I was just.
0: Among the many other egregious events that the Nine lived through, Minnie Jean Brown was taunted by members of a group of white male students in the school cafeteria during lunch. She dropped her bowl of chili, which splashed onto the boys. She was suspended for six days. Two months later, after more confrontation, she was suspended for the rest of the school year. In the summer of 1958, as the school year was drawing to a close, Governor Faubus decided to petition to postpone the continued desegregation of public high schools in Little Rock. He took control of the school district and fought for a a two-and-a-half-year delay, which would have meant the black students would only be permitted into public high schools in January of 1961. Federal courts ruled against him, so Faubus called together an extraordinary session of the state legislature on August 26th in order to enact a new segregation bill that enabled him and the little rock school district to close all public schools. He ordered the closure of all four public high schools, preventing both black and white students from attending. But despite his decree, the city's population had a chance of refuting the bill since the school closing law necessitated a referendum. The referendum, which would either condone or condemn Fobos's law was to take place within 30 days. A week before the vote, Fawbus urged the population to vote against integration, telling them that he was planning on leasing the public school buildings to private schools and, in doing so, would educate the white and black students separately. He won the referendum, but Fawbus's intention to open private schools was denied by courts the same day the referendum took place, which caused some citizens of Little Rock to turn on the black community. They, and especially the nine, became a target for renewed hate crimes now that they were blamed for the closing of the schools. Even though Fahbis' idea of private schools never played out, the teachers were still expected to attend school every day and prepare for the possibility of their students' return. They were completely under the governor's control, and for many months, the school stayed empty in what became known as the lost year. In May of 1959, after the firing of 44 teachers and administrative staff from the four high schools, Three segregationist board members were replaced with three moderate ones. The new board members reinstated the staff members and began an attempt to reopen the schools, much to Faubus' dismay. Still, when the new year began, the black students had a difficult time getting past mobs to enter. And once inside, they were still subject to physical and emotional abuse, as the lost year would be used as a pretext for renewed hatred toward them. Today, Central High School is still an operating public school, and the building itself is no slouch. Built in 1927 as Little Rock Senior High School, Central was named America's Most Beautiful High School by the American Institute of Architects. Designed with a mix of art deco and collegiate gothic styles, the building is two city blocks long, with more than 36 million pounds of concrete and 370 tons of steel. It cost $1.5 million to construct in 27, the most expensive school ever built in the United States up to that point. In 1953, the school's name changed to Little Rock Central High School in anticipation of the construction of a new high school for the white students. The school is not open for visitors to tour on their own. Ranger-guided tours are available, and they're limited to groups of 10 or fewer, and reservations must be made two weeks in advance. The best place to begin your visit is to go to the Park Visitor Center across from the school. Exhibits tell the story of those times, and interactive oral history stations give you a chance to hear the words from the nine, just as you heard today. Central is the only operating high school in the nation that is a national historic site. And it's a historic site that includes not only a past, but a present and a future as well, in the form of an ever-evolving student body. The Visitor Center is located diagonally across the street from the school, and it opened in the fall of 2006. It contains an interpretive film on the crisis, as well as multimedia exhibits on the larger context of desegregation during the 20th century and the civil rights movement. Opposite the Visitor Center is the Central High Commemorative Garden, which features nine trees and benches that honor the students. Arches that represent the school's facade contain embedded photographs of the school in years since the crisis and showcase students of various backgrounds in activities together. On the other side of the visitor center is the historic mobile gas station, which has been preserved in its appearance at the time of the crisis, when it served as a base for the press and radio and television reporters. It later served as a temporary visitor center before the new one was built. This episode of America's National Parks was hosted by me, Jason Epperson. The interviews come from an oral history project documented on the park's website. We'll link to the video interviews in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our America's National Parks Facebook group. For more great American destinations, give us a listen at the See America podcast. Season three just concluded wherever you listen to this one. If you're interested in RV travel, find us at the RV Miles podcast. You can also follow Abigail and me as we travel the country with our three boys all over social media as our wandering family.
3: This land is your
5: land. This land is mine. From California to the New York Island From the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters This land was made for you and me
0: Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks.